Wasn't that an awesome movie? And I kind of liked the remake better than I did the classic. But I love that line at the very end, something to believe in. Man, we all need something to believe in, especially these days. And if you believe in Santa Claus, you're going to need to believe in some miracles too. I mean, if you believe in Santa Claus, and you've got to believe in reindeer that can fly at quantum speeds all night long pulling a sleigh. You've got to believe in an over, overweight Santa Claus that can somehow shimmy down your chimney, even if you have a gas furnace, and even more remarkable, get himself back up just by touching his finger to his nose. If you don't believe in Santa Claus, then you've got to believe in a guy that can deliver billions of packages all around the world in one night. I mean, you've got to believe in some miracles. Now, the truth is most adults don't uh, accept this story and Santa Claus as reliable. But according to the theme of Miracle on 34th Street, it doesn't matter whether that's true or not. What matters is what you believe. Because if you believe strongly enough that Santa Claus is real in your heart, then he becomes real to you on Christmas Eve and you have warm, fuzzy feelings. It's a little bit different for the Christmas story. Although it starts uh, with miracles on an unknown street in Nazareth 2,000 years ago where a virgin gives birth to the Son of God. The question is, do we really believe that? I mean, do we believe in the incarnation that, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary actually gave birth to Jesus Christ? Or is that just a story that we've told as Christians over the years to get ourselves all pumped up to believe in our hearts? Because the truth is, as it turns out, it's pretty important whether or not something's really true or whether it's just true in your imagination. I'll give you an example, a goofy example. You might believe that you can jump off a cliff and defy, defy gravity like, I don't know, Curious George or Bugs Bunny or some other cartoon character. But no matter how strongly you believe that, you jump off the cliff, you're going down. Probably face first. Because no matter what you believe, gravity always wins. Always. And and, uh, if you've got a a kid growing up in a poverty-stricken home, and he believes with all of his heart that Santa Claus is real and that he's going to bring him an Xbox or a bicycle for Christmas morning, uh, even all that belief is probably going to not make that dream come true. Conversely, if you believe in all your heart this morning that I'm only going to preach for five minutes, that's not going to happen either. And if you believe that, you're living in Santa Claus land. But my point is, things to believe are become a whole lot more valuable when they're backed up with fact. So I want to talk this morning about the virgin birth, how remarkable it was. And I want to remind all of us that this is historical fact we're talking about. And because of that, we have this promise of forgiveness of sin. We have the possibility of transformation of our lives and, of course, the hope for life after death. We're going to look at what uh, Luke's account is in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And I hope in it will reinforce to each one of our faiths in the reality of the miracle uh, of God becoming born of a virgin. Because it's pretty incredible stuff when you think about it. Verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So notice the whole story of Jesus starts with a miracle. Personally, I think miracles are cool. Did I ever tell you the miracle of the blind carpenter? It was this blind carpenter, and he just picked up his hammer and saw. (sighs) Missed me, didn't you? Listen, three times in this story, we're told that Mary is a virgin, and yet the angel says she's going to give birth to a baby. I think if you have a virgin giving birth to a baby, you've got a miracle going on there. By definition, a miracle is an act of God that's contrary to the laws of nature. That's what's going on here. And I also want you to notice that Luke talks about this like it's fact. This miracle is just fact. He just puts it out there. 
Matt Proctor said when his kids were little and he'd put them to bed at night, he'd tell them a bedtime story and he'd lay down next to their bed. And he said, if I started the story once upon a time, they knew it was a fairy tale. They knew I was just making a pretend story. But he said, if I told them a story from the Bible, I would start it many, many years ago. And he said, every now and then I'd make a mistake and I'd start a Bible story with Once Upon a Time. And the kids would stop me and say, no, 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 Dad, this is a Bible story. You have to go many, many years ago. And when you and I read the story of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, we don't start it off with Once Upon a Time. Because this is historical fact. And Luke says in verse 3, he begins his gospel by saying, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and writing this orderly account to you. I'm giving you names, Mary and Joseph. I've given you places, Nazareth and Galilee. I've given you times in the six months. In other words, these are facts you can check out. This really happened, this miracle. In fact, that leads to the first point this morning. As Christians, we believe in miracles. I mean, we have to. It's just by presupposition of being a Christian. I mean, I know they're rare, and I know they're unexplainable, but they're essential to God's supernatural plan in our lives. In fact, if you call yourself a Christ follower today, there are three essential miracles that you have to believe in. You have to believe in creation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to believe God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. About a week before we went on vacation... I took our trailblazer in. It's 17 years old, and uh, I had to get some brake work done. And it's kind of uh, odd to me that the first thing the guy asked me when I called him, I called Scott's new mechanic, Joe, somebody who's really good. He said, what's the year, make, and model of your car? It's strange to me that he didn't ask me, are you bringing in one of those cars that has evolved over millions of years? Are you bringing in one of those cars that was manufactured here in Detroit? See, the thing is, when we talk about a car or computer, we just assume that they've been built by a designer because they're so complex. Well, the human brain is a whole lot more complex than any computer has ever been. Who could possibly ever believe that there wasn't a designer behind that? And of course there is. The Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Jay Leno one time quipped that an atheist once made a Christmas classic movie too. He called it Coincidence on 34th Street. And the truth is, if you and I don't believe in the creation theory, then we have to believe that all the stuff we see and know just happened through a series of remarkable coincidences. That somehow we just went from nothing to matter, and then somehow we went from this matter to life, and then somehow we went from life to intelligent life. It's, you know, you by goo by way of the zoo, that kind of thing. And I've said for years, I think it's a whole lot easier to just believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Secondly, as Christians, we have to believe in the miracle of the incarnation. I mean, we have to. We have to believe that God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Isaiah 7, 14 says, the virgin will be with child, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel because that means God with us. The virgin birth is essential to our faith because it, it proves that prophecy came through and it tells us who Jesus is, the actual son of God. I remember years ago, Larry King you know, the famous talk show host, he said one time on his show, if somebody could prove to me the virgin birth was real, it would change my life forever. Well, Ravi Zacharias was going to write a book, and he wanted to make sure that he quoted him correctly. So he asked Larry King, did you really say that? And he said, I did, and I meant it. I wasn't being facetious. He realized that the identity of Jesus Christ is pivotal to the virgin birth, and vice versa. And, And it's essential to you and I's belief as Christians that we see Jesus Christ not as just a remarkable historical figure, but a supernatural being, the Son of God. 
Thomas saw him and said, Behold, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And then thirdly, as Christians, we have to believe in the miracle of the resurrection for sure. When Jesus raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, it was an act of God that goes against nature, I think. And it was God verifying Jesus' identity, validating the reality of the atonement, and proving that the miracle of life after death is possible. He was giving us something to believe in, and we need it. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Of course, the flip side of that's also true. If you're here today and you really don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form, form, then not much hope for you raising from the dead either. I mean, come on, if the perfect son of God doesn't make it, you're sure not going to make it. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. Let me just add, don't pity me. Because he's risen indeed for sure. Dr. Gerard Ludman, is, uh, he was a liberal Christian theologian who taught in seminaries in Europe and the United States, but he mocked miracles. He was a liberal Christian, and he thought they were silly. He said, uh, for example, that if you believed in miracles, you were a fundamentalist. He said Jesus was not born of a virgin, but was in fact a product of rape. He also said in his book, Whatever Happened to Jesus, that his body's still in the tomb, that his body didn't disappear, but it rotted away like everybody else's. He said Christianity needed to focus on the moral teachings of Jesus and stay away from all this naive supernaturalism. He said the stories of Jesus in the Bible were just fairy tales. And he was teaching that in our Christian seminaries. Well, eventually he completely denounced Christianity. Duh. In fact, he called liberal Christians contemptible. Listen to what he said. I don't think Christians know what they mean when they proclaim Jesus as the Lord of the world. It's a massive claim, he says. If you took that seriously, you'd probably have to call yourself a fundamentalist. And if you can't be a fundamentalist, then you should give up Christianity all for good for the sake of honesty. Now, personally, I think the guy is a little wordy. He's kind of a doofus, and he's full of himself. But I agree with this conclusion. His conclusion, simply put, goes like this. You either believe this or you don't, but you don't dabble in it. You're not lukewarm. And when the Bible says in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in the town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married and told her you're going to be with child, we do not start that once upon a time because it's a historical fact. We say many years ago. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child. You give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? I think it's pretty interesting. The first person to question the validity of the virgin birth was Mary herself. I mean, her first response was, oh man, this is cool. Let's get started. No, her first response was, how can this be? I mean, I've never been with a guy before. I mean, this is, goes against contrary to the laws of God's nature. She started having a little doubt brewing inside her, which I think happens to all of us. You know what you call somebody who believes in Christmas but doubts the existence of God? They are eggnog stick. Man, I worked on that one pretty good. Listen, here's the second point I want to make this morning. Doubting in miracles once in a while is also normal for Christians. It's normal. Somebody once said, 
he who never doubted never thought. I like that. And I want to ask you this morning, have you ever doubted? I mean, honestly. I mean, come on, man. We, we talk about a God who has always been. Where'd God come from? I don't know. He's just always been. That's tough. Where'd he get all this stuff? I don't know. He just said it, and here it was. Do you ever doubt that? I mean, honestly? Maybe you've got a professor who in college, and he's very likable, but he's not a Christian, and, and you like to hear him talk, and sometimes when he says things, it makes you think that your belief in Christianity is maybe a little childish. I don't know. Maybe a little naive. Do you ever doubt in the validity of the virgin birth? Maybe you read the Da Vinci Code years ago, and you're thinking, well, maybe they just, you know, have enhanced that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of pushed that along a little bit and to, to prop up what, what a wonderful man Jesus is, but we already think he is. Don't forget John the Baptist doubted Jesus temporarily, too. When Jesus first came on the scene, John said emphatically, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. But, you know, just a year and a half later, his popularity started to decline, and he got arrested and thrown in prison for criticizing Herod and his moral values. And remember, he sent a messenger to Jesus and said, are you really the Messiah, or should we expect somebody else? I mean, it's pretty clear that John was doubting what he'd been so absolutely certain of just a few months before. And I don't know, maybe that's you today. Maybe when you were younger, you really bought into this, made a lot of sense, but man, life has been hard and you've been wounded and hurt and been through so much stuff, and now you're beginning to wonder once in a while, is this real? I mean, seriously? Maybe somebody you love dearly was just killed suddenly, and you're staring at their body in the casket, and you hear somebody standing next to you, and they say, well, at least they're in a better place. And for the first time in your life, those words sound really empty to you. It's almost like you're losing your faith in the validity of heaven. Maybe you're here today, and you question the Bible occasionally. Are there some errors? I mean, we've got so many translations. It's been copied so many times. Have we exaggerated? So there's some things in the Bible hard to believe. My sister Candy uh, taught preschool for years in Kentucky, and she had this little kid, uh, Jeremy, little Kentuckian kid, and she was telling them the story of the resurrection. And she said, the longer I went, the more he shook his head. He had his arms folded, and he was just shaking his head. And she said, Jeremy, don't you believe me? And he said, uh-uh, Miss Decca. And she said, well, why not? And he said, because when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. it. You know, we laugh at a story like that because it's a kid. I mean, if you had a sense of humor, you'd laugh at a story like that. But anyway, that's us sometimes. Seriously. I mean, you think about the Bible. It's full of some crazy stories. We got people walking on water. We got the seas parting in the middle. We got talking donkeys. We got a guy living in a fish for three days. And sometimes you read those stories and you say, are you kidding me? And maybe you're here today and you're doubting that sometimes. And when we doubt, we start feeling a little guilty. You start thinking, man, what kind of a Christian am I that I would ever have thoughts like that? Well, if that happens to you and that's happened to you this morning, would you be encouraged you're in pretty good company? Mary doubted. The disciple Thomas doubted. John the baptizer doubted. And Jesus loved them and cherished them. And he loves and cherishes you too. And also, if you're here this morning and you doubt occasionally, would you be encouraged? Christianity is intellectually sound. It can withstand any scrutiny. It's real. They've been trying to disprove it for years. Some of the world's greatest thinkers have become believers over the years as a result of their honest searching of the truth. And one of the most famous, of course, is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, uh, both sides of the coin, uh, both sides of uh, of scholarship, uh, Christians and contemporary uh, b- believe him to be a scholar. And you know his story. Early on as an instructor and a professor, he was a devout atheist. 
And he set out to prove Christianity. But the more he looked at the facts, the more it became real to him. And he finally became a believer, and he wrote the book called Miracles. And in that book, he said, you know, there are things in Christianity that seem implausible. But there's things in uh, atheism that seems implausible too. Galileo once said, doubt is the father of discovery. I like that. And so if you're here this morning and you doubt all of this sometimes because it's so remarkable, will you just be reminded how patient Jesus is, how loving he is, and how he accepts people who are always looking for the honest truth? I mean, he didn't write John the Baptist off. He didn't tell him, get out of my sight. He said, he told the messenger, you go back and tell John, hey, the blind see, the lame are walking, the poor having the gospel preached to him. This is real, just like I said it was. And if you're here this morning and you're doubting the validity of Jesus Christ, he's saying, would you just check me out? <laughs> Touch my side, he told Thomas. Look at the facts, check history. And if you're still done after all that, you still don't believe me, then blow me off. But at least check it out. And if you will, you're going to find that it's true. Notice how patient the angel was with Mary. He gave her a detailed explanation of how this miracle would happen. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. He said, look, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. So Mary had doubts. They were answered. She expected, accepted her special role with God. And they went on an amazing adventure together. That's how it works. One more and then we'll take communion together. Number three. Our belief in all of these miracles, which are pretty stunning, become a whole lot easier when we have a good concept of God. Gabriel said nothing is impossible with God. He said that. Do you believe that? Yes or no? Nothing is impossible. J.B. Phillips wrote a book several years ago, and the title of the book was pretty cool. It said, your God is too small. And I'm asking you, church family, is your God too small? How big is your God? Is your God bigger than creation? Is your God bigger than your mind? Is your God stronger than you and better than your reasoning? Is the God you believe in, could he cause uh, life to come from dust? Could he also cause life to form in a womb? Because I think so. The Bible says God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. The psalmist said, you're the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you've redeemed your people. And the longer you and I are Christian, the bigger our God should be. And the more awesome this whole thing of Christmas should become to us. Again, I love the line in that movie that ended the, the trailer. It said, something to believe in. If there was ever a time in our history where we needed something to believe in, it's right now. I mean, things are a mess. I mean, they're not just chaotic with the pandemic and all that, and all the mess with the election and all this. Things are evil and out of control and, quite frankly, nasty. Now, listen, I'm no prophet of God. If I ever get a word from God and I'm absolutely sure it came from God, I promise I'll share it with you. The staff knows I will because I'd come in and blast all the way anyway. I have not got one from God, but I'll tell you this. In my prayer time and in my devotion time in the last several months, I'm not getting the sense that things are going to get better soon. I think they're going to get worse. I think God has warned us and warned us and warned us, and we've not heeded his warnings. And I think what Bill Wilson said years ago, he said, the thing about God is this. He takes it and takes it and takes it and takes it. And one day he says, I'm not taking it anymore. And I think we're close to that day. 
Somebody says, wait a minute, Cain, what? I thought we were talking about something to believe in. I thought this was the advent of hope. That's exactly what we're talking about. The hope of the coming of Jesus Christ to fix all this mess. I mean, when you take a diamond and you lay it on the black velvet backdrop so you can see how beautiful it is, I think the hope of a world through Jesus Christ coming to Christmas morning 2,000 years ago is the back backdrop of the chaos we're living in. We're going to get out of this one day. The hope of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set yourself on the hope of the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We don't know when that's happening, but we know it's coming. So we hope. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, I read a story just last week of Professor uh, McDonald and a Scottish chaplain who were both shot down behind enemy lines during World War II and became prisoners in German concentration camp. Now, uh, this particular camp, for some reason, the Germans had divided it, and they had the uh, Americans on one side and the British on another side with a fence down the middle. And MacDonald, uh, was, he went with the Americans, and this British chaplain went with the British, and every day they would meet at the fence and greet each other. Well, what the German uh, guards didn't know is that somehow the Americans had come up with a makeshift radio, and they were getting news from the outside, and they said later that it was more precious to them than food. And so every day, McDonald would get news from the outside, and he would take it to the fence and share it with the British chaplain. And one day, they heard over the wires that the German high command had surrendered and given up the war. And he couldn't wait to go tell the British chaplain. So they met at the fence, and he told him, and he watched him go, and the barracks just lit up. Well, the guards were clueless for three days. And so the entire, all, both barracks, all the prisoners were singing and dancing and, and petting the guard dogs and laughing with the guards. And the story is told that when the guards finally found out what happened, they unlocked the gates and fled in terror. And, of course, the POWs, British, and Americans walked free. But they had been free for three days. You get my point, right? I'm the first one to admit that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is not being fully seen on this planet right now. There's too much chaos and too much mess. But friends, we've already been set free. From the coming of Jesus Christ, from the death, burial, and resurrection, we know how this battle ends. So we meet every Sunday as a family, and we go over the Word, and we try to get encouraged, and try to fellowship with each other, but we always wind up here for the promise of life after death. And if you're here today and you've not accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, today's the day. Everything you need is right here. Let's spend some time at the table.